Welcome back to Distinct Nostalgia. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. It's time for another Tuesday special as we continue to showcase Kelly's Heroes. Last week, Craig caught up with fellow actor and full Monty star Hugo Spear. This week, he speaks to the legendary musician and lead singer of the specials, Terry Hall. Enjoy. Heroes. Okay, so my next guest on Kelly's Heroes. Um, I'm so excited, I really am. Um, this is a real honour and a real buzz. He's a brilliant lead singer. Uh, he's a great front man. Um, when I was a boy, I had him up uh, on a poster on my wall. And some of his songs, I knew every single word of those songs. He is a legend. And I have the great pleasure of calling him right now and having a little chinwag. So where are you, my new friend? Hello? Hello. Is that Mr. Terry Hall? Uh, Yes, it is. Hi, Craig. (laughs) Oh, mate, what an honour. I'm absolutely buzzing, I've got to say. I'm so excited. So, just as a little warm-up, Terry, I just wanted to ask you how you're doing today. How are you feeling? Today's good. Um, I spent yesterday gardening all day, which was just brilliant. And um, today, um, I think a trip to the post office, and that's it. That is rock and roll, Terry, isn't it? That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is rock and roll at its best. Yeah. Gardening yeah. and a trip to the post office. Yeah, that'll do for me. Now, how I start yeah. this um, to get the ball rolling is I normally ask the kids for their questions. Uh, and it's a lovely thing. Yeah. Vincent's first question is, to you, what is your favourite breakfast? Well, um, I don't actually eat breakfast I, I drink a lot of coffee, and then um, it's really what's ever in the kitchen. So that could um, be anything. What, it could be a carrot? Not, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, uh, it, do you, if there's like a roll around or something, I'm like now I've just eaten a cake. <laughs> My second question to you, again, this is, this is from Vincent. I'm just going to go with Vincent's questions first. Yeah. What did you dream last night? Well... Uh, last night I didn't dream. Okay. Uh, the last dream I remember was a recurring dream. And, but this has been recurring for about 20 years. It's, it's, I'm, I'm standing on a dock of a bay. Yeah. And there's a speedboat at the end of the jetty. Yeah. And Simon Le Bon is <laughs> on the speed. This is true. <laughs> Simon is- Le Bon is on the speedboat. Yeah. Um, with these beautiful Chinese girls on either side. And he's beckoning me onto the speedboat. Yeah. And I'm saying, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And so the speedboat takes off and this is a bit cruel, but it blows up. Wow. With, with, with him and his hair on it. Yeah, they're they're gone. 
Wow. Um, okay. Well, that's an amazing dream. Why specifically Simon Le Bon? Was he was no he your idea. mate? Was he was he someone that you uh, whose music that you liked? Um, no, but uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I've, I've thought about this dream a lot because it is it's honestly a dream I've had a, a lot. Um, yeah. I always think it's like him beckoning me to yeah. to come and have another level of success ah. like duran duran success i don't know whether simon Le Bon wanted me to be in his gang or i don't know or it's it's been a weird dream but it's honestly a dream that i've had a lot and i've never worked i've never sort of gone into it that deep really apart from i'm glad i didn't get on the boat <laughs> Um, well, that's, that's the one good thing. Did he have his blonde hair? Was it like around about the time her name is Rio? It, it was actually dark. Oh, dark. Did he ever have dark hair? I don't think so. This is getting interesting. He didn't even have his blonde mane. I, I think r- really early on, I think he, his hair was natural, but that didn't last. No, it didn't last um, too, too long. Interestingly enough, my first single that I ever bought, around about a similar time, it was either... And I prefer it to be this one, by the way. It was either Pink Floyd, yeah, another brick in the wall, or it was Girls on Film. And I think it was Pink Floyd. I I would hope so, right? Yeah, yeah. Did that come out before Girls on Film? Was it was it early eighties? I can't remember. Late seven? I can't remember. Because I've I've often questioned myself because I would, with no disrespect to Duran Duran, no, but they're not Pink Floyd. No, no, they aren't. Um, if I was you, I'd drop the Duran Duran thing and just say my first single was Pink Floyd. You're absolutely right. Listen, n- no one's... I mean, I'd, I'll see how this goes in the edit, but uh, I don't think... I think we'll cut straight to the... Uh, in fact, I'm just going to do it now, Terry. Um, yeah. I remember what my first single that I bought quite clearly. It was um, by Pink Floyd, and it was yeah. Another Brick in the Wall. Okay, so it wasn't Duran Duran. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, I don't know where you got Duran Duran from, mate. Just because you have dreams about them does not mean that I bought Girls on Film as a single. What was your? What was the first single that you bought? Um, The first single would have been. It was either David Cassidy or David Essex. It was one of the Davids. That's very interesting. That that surprises me. But I had a massive like teenage crush on David Cassidy. Like huge, did you? Uh, bizarrely, yeah, and um, yeah. I think I've still got it. <laughs> still got the crush. Still got the crush, yeah. Or the poster on the wall. Well, I, I don't know. I had I had this really weird thing in my life about eleven years ago where I got really really ill and um, I came out of it. Yeah, and I felt like it was a real life change. And I remember then getting back into the Jackson Five. Yeah, and. David Cassidy and it was like music that I was sort of influenced by when I was like between 10 and 13, I think. And then I started to collect David Cassidy memorabilia on eBay. And this is only like 10 years ago, but I've got some amazing things. It's like, uh, I'm not ever going to show anybody. Have you shared this before, Terry? No. Is this is this an exclusive? Yeah, just thought about it then. I don't even know. And listen, I mean, I don't want to upset you, but I don't know no. any David Cassidy songs. I think I vaguely wow. know a couple of David Essex ones. Yeah. In terms of David Cassidy, what was his big tune? Um, he had songs like How Can I Be Sure. 
Daydreamer. You'd know Daydreamer. them. Uh, they'd be in your head if you heard them. Okay. Is there a greatest hits album that I could? There are a few. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, my promise to you, after this interview, I'm going to check him out. Because you, you've got to. I'll bet you he's brilliant, right? I'll bet his pop songs are brilliant. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah. He was amazing. And, yeah. um, yeah, and I had no idea what the connection was, but I felt a real connection to him, even though he was based in LA and he rode horses bareback. <laughs> Sorry to, um, digress a little bit here, but, um, Ghost Town in particular, which I was about 10 and I didn't know yeah. what a political song was, but I knew that that was, political and yeah. so you connected with a 10 year old with that with that incredible song I, I get that a lot because um um yeah just over the years like some of our songs have really connected with people yeah uh, on, on quite a heavy deep level really yes, and definitely and and that's that's been really rewarding i think um because you know the idea has always been with me for a song is um you communicate that this is your voice. You communicate with people, and you express your feelings, and and to, to recognise that other people feel this too, yeah, um, is, is is a great thing, really. When you started out, because you were influenced by punk rock, right? Yeah, yeah. And you saw the Sex Pistols and the Clash at the same time. Now, tell me about that, please. What was that like? So, um, this was Coventry, and around seventy-seven, I think, and. Um, Coventry was very sort of like uh, hit by a lot of things, unemployment and racism at that time. And um, we were all into stuff like David Bowie and Roxy Music. And me and a lot of my mates wanted to be in bands, but we didn't really know how to do it because the only access we had then was sort of like Top of the Pops. And yeah. um, But then we started going to gigs. And then one night in Coventry, we saw The Pistols and The Clash on the same bill. And I think this has been said a lot about different places like Manchester. And yeah. you understood at that point how you could do it. Yeah. Which it didn't seem like a mountain anymore. What you needed was a, you know, a couple of guitars and a, a kit yeah. and you just did it. You, you didn't think about why you were doing it. You just did it. So it was a massive, massive thing really. Yeah. And you as a frontman, what I like about you is you you have a sensitivity about you and you have an intelligence, but you also have the attitude in terms of how a frontman is. You know what I mean? Some frontmen are just like say Bono. Yeah. All front with that with that yeah. kind of emotion thing that he does. And there's other yeah. people like yourself and the uh, chap from the Cure, is it Robert? Um, Robert Smith. Robert yeah. Smith. You guys have a similarity, I think. Would you take that as a compliment? Yeah, I think it's because, uh, well, with me, I, I don't separate the two. Being in a band is like just a part of my everyday life. Yeah. Um, so how I am now in in my bedroom is how I'll be on stage. It's not, it, uh, I don't separate the two really. Obviously on stage I'll put trousers on. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a, and a, a sort of pork pie hat from time to time. <laughs> Maybe. But um, yeah, that that's how it is. And it's, it, it's very weird because like, uh, you know, it's been sort of well documented, but I, I've suffered a lot from men mental illness. And yes. sometimes I analyze it and think about myself actually performing in front of a lot of people, whereas in fact, I'm, quite a, a sort of an isolated loner 
No, yes. you know, that's yes. how I am. And it's how yeah. I've always been. And then to go onto a stage and sing to these people yeah. is like really freaks me out if I think about it. <laughs> but um But when you do it it doesn't freak you out no, though, obviously. Because no, no. you do it so well. It, you do it, it just feels great. It feels like you're sharing something with people. Yeah. That's an amazing thing because I tell you why. Because me as as an actor, I'd always presumed that someone being a front man, it was mostly an act. Yeah. Because there's a lot yeah. of frontmen who are actually very, very shy. So what you're talking about is very real yeah. and authentic. And that, that strikes me as pretty unique, I would think, because I think it's normally the other way. If you're like that as a person, there's a lot of actors that I know, like loads of them, that yeah. wouldn't say yeah. boo to a goose. But you get them on yeah. that stage yeah. and they come alive. But what you're talking about is bringing your authentic self to a massive crowd. It's it's incredibly brave. I don't know. I mean, sometimes when I'm on stage and uh, I'm singing and my eyes are closed, and then I open my eyes and see these people, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> How did they get here? Where did you all come from? <laughs> What's going on? I thought I was in my bedroom. <laughs> what are you doing here? When I was doing my research, one of the clips that I unearthed on YouTube. Yeah. I think this video was probably at the height of the specials and you were talking about uh, Two-Tone and the record label that I think Jeffrey Dammers set up, right? Yeah. And you said, well, we've created a monster with the specials and now we're going to create loads of little monsters. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Well, we had this philosophy which was actually taken from Bernie Rhodes who managed The Clash and he said... Um, before you conquer your world, conquer your street first. And so what we did, we did that in Coventry street by street, pretty much like an A to Z. But um, we established what we needed to do in Coventry, which was A, to make records, and B, to be able to release records without relying on, you know, but um, really London and um, the need to you know, work in London. We wanted to base it in the Midlands. There were so many great things happening in the Midlands that were being neglected, really. So the Little Monsters would have been, I don't know, bands like the Selector and the Beat, who are absolutely yes. massive monsters. But <laughs> we just thought this is an opportunity, not, not just to um, make our records, but to sort of encourage and help other bands who have finding the same problem, really, which was, you know, actually getting to make a record and funding a record. Um, yeah. They were the little monsters. Well, do you know what's interesting? Um, just talking about that label, actually, I was at a dinner party with a great mate of mine who, you know, who's really into this podcast, and he was extremely excited when I said that you were going to be one of my next guests. Yeah. Because he then went on to tell me that um, he'd recently bought an old, um, I don't know if it was a 12-inch of the specials. Right. Or it was an album, but he said he found one of those posters. Yeah. Do you know of the guy... What was the guy called? He had a specific name, that guy, didn't he? Uh, Walt Jabsko. <laughs> there <But> you go. <laughs> I've no idea how that name came about. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. 
Yeah. Nah, man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. get them on there. Yeah. Damn, you know, just, yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't lie. play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. That's brilliant because that's like independent record making at its best because that was a fantastic record label. Um, but when you said that you'd created a monster in terms of the specials, when you said that, was that at the absolute height of your fame? I, I think so, yeah. Um, well, you know what it's like? Uh, country at that point, it was pretty hard to get out of the system. And the system then, because of the unemployment in that city, was was really, really tough. And you could get like a two-day job or something, but you couldn't really work. And so when I left school, I left very early. I left at 15 without sort of uh, qualifications and stuff. Well, I was asked to leave, to be honest. But um, <laughs> You asked to leave? Why were you naughty? No, not naughty, just yeah. I wasn't interested. And so yeah. I, I didn't turn up. It was pointless. It was absolutely pointless. So what they did with me and a few of my mates was to create this thing called job creation, which you went into school on Monday, signed your register, and then you found a job all week and signed out on Friday. And, you know, these were any jobs you could get, like working in markets and stuff. Yeah. But the point being, after actually leaving school, there was very little to do. Yeah. Um, apart from being bands with your mates and you know trying to create something but it was it was really tough because coventry didn't at that point didn't have a great legacy of bands and music there was like a few things moldy o'dough by lieutenant pigeon and frank ifield <laughs> lieutenant pigeon that vaguely rings a bell i think that was it <laughs> yeah you should listen to it is it good it's good but it'll give you an idea of where coventry was at, <laughs> at that yeah. point so yeah you know the idea was to to start a label just for ourselves really and but it got really big after yeah uh gangsters we released gangsters and that was our first ever record and it went you know number three or something which was totally unexpected so this monster just happened and we were taken from you know playing pubs in birmingham and coventry and suddenly we were on planes to new york and stuff and it's it's quite Yes. Sort of mind-blowing. I was only sort of 18 yeah. or something, and it's pretty mind-blowing following this success. It was, but it got too, it got too big, and it, it happened very, very quickly, really. Yeah. The period of the specials, was it about 77 to 81? Um, yeah. Yeah, roughly, yeah. Was it that? Yeah. And was it the great late John Peel that found you? Was he responsible for another huge band in Britain? Yeah, he was he was the first person to play uh, Gangsters. Uh, we were lucky because we um, hooked up with Jeff Travis at, at Rough yeah. Trade, who agreed to do like a distribution thing for us because we couldn't distribute the records outside of the Midlands, really. And from that, John Peel got a copy and played it, and it just grew, yeah. And you split up at the height of your fame. Yeah. Was Ghost Town the last record that you played together? Is that is that right? That, that was the last thing we ever did, yeah. See, that's just crazy. And that was my song. That was my favourite song. Yeah, yeah. Almost ever. Some of that is because of the age that I was and the connection that I made with that song. Yeah. How do you feel about 
the band splitting at the height of their fame was was that relief was that sadness was that joy or was that just do you know what it was meant to be well it was me who split it up really um because over those four years it changed from being mates to trying to make records and stuff to to live in this different life and people then started to disperse and we'd get together for tv shows and stuff and it's not what what i wanted to do yeah and i thought the best thing to do was um split the band at that point because i think after ghost town we'd said a lot really and yes and what do you do from there you know it's uh yeah it's a bit like going out at the very top in some ways a beautiful thing I think so. I, th- I think so. And it, 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 what it gave me personally was uh, longevity, which meant I could carry on and do different things at different times, really, which is what I wanted to do. I, d- I never looked at this as like a job or career, or but it's just a part of your life. Um, and you want to do it. That That's all I can do, really. And But I'm really happy about that. I'm really grateful. And but I've always thought of it as a, a long-term thing until you die, really. Yeah, yeah. But I think you've got to be a bit careful along the way to allow that to keep happening, really. Yeah, I mean, it's choices. I, I, I suppose, like, for me, being an actor, I sometimes feel, <laughs> feel it's like a curse because I can't quit. No, no. I don't think I can do much more. No. I mean, there's, there's the acting, there's the voiceovers, and there's being a dad. And then there's this. And yeah, yeah. you know, like lockdown has made me think, what else could I do? And the answer is probably not much. Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking that with actors, I always watch actors and, and think about the roles they take and where that might lead them. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, especially when people decide to go into sort of, sort of major film. Yeah. And I always think that's, um, it can be great, but it can be, the end too definitely i remember wanting to be famous yeah because i was 16 i always thought i was going to be a footballer and that was the way that i was going to make my mark yeah and then it didn't happen um i got injured when i was 14 and then i I, you know i was out at, at a time when i was about to be picked up by a big club and i remember coming back at 16 and my and my dad saying hey you could still play for liverpool and i went yeah. dad I'm 16, it's over for me. Yeah, yeah. It's over. Yeah. They'd have got me by now. <laughs> you know, like you think you know it all at 16. And then... That's nuts. Yeah, I suddenly announced that I was going to be an actor. I'm going yeah. to be an actor. Uh, and part of that was because I wanted to find a way to to express myself and to make my mark. And misguidedly, I think... I didn't really announce this, by the way. Yeah. Because all kids these days seem to want fame. yeah. And I wanted to be famous because that gave me a goal and it made me driven and it made me competitive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my point is, when I achieved that fame, I didn't want it. Yeah, yeah. It was like, wow, okay, this is what it's like to to be famous. And um, I don't actually like it. No, no. I mean, I think there are levels of fame. It's like... uh, you know, a top level fame can allow you to still live privately. Yes. But medium levels of fame, which I think, you know, which I ventured on, you can be recognized a lot on the street, but you don't really, you can't live privately. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's like, that's right. Unless you lock yourself in your house, really. Do you find that you've had to do that? Because you, you have got an extremely famous face. There's people like me 
who connected with you at, at 10. Yeah. And still hold you in high regard, you know, all yeah. these years later. And I know you've done so much since, but the fact that's powerful, right? That's a really powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. The things that come with that, I suppose, is how you deal with th- those kind of fans, um, and you do it very well. I had, I had real trouble at first because of my background, really. You know, I came out of being on the dole and going yeah. to football and stuff, and then all of yeah. a sudden people are recognising you, and that, and that was really weird. That was yeah. really odd. But I think in the last 10 years is... I've really come to terms with what it all is and I'm on sort of medication now for my mental health problems, but that's opened up a lot of sort of doors for me and to look back and see what happened throughout, you know, the last 40 years. And, but now I'm, I'm dead cool with it. And more often than not, people who approach you, they've got really lovely things to say. So that's great. It's great. It's like you've, you've sort of, made an impression and yes you certainly have that's a lovely thing i think yes i wanted to ask you i mean you don't get uh this opportunity too many times as an aspiring songwriter like i am although i do think i peaked at 10 because i think (laughs) wheelie wheel is my best song and the double a side being unemployed no i swear to god i can't write a better song it seems it appears because there was something very authentic about wheelie wheel um and my question to you is how do you go about writing a song what advice would you give me or other aspiring songwriters well for me it's like i only i only sort of attempt writing when I feel like I've really got something to say. I, I don't sort of write songs day in, day out, um, because um, and people are doing that. But when I feel like really compelled to say something, that's when it turns into a song. And with each different project, there's a different process. And we released our album last year, and it was the first time we'd all been in a studio together since 1981. And it was mind-blowing really it was really fantastic and and the thing that i appreciated was the last taste of studio with the specials in 81 was a lot of arguing a lot yeah. of disagreements and a lot of it should be this way it should be this way but we, yeah. we sat down as adults and just made a record and, and it was a great record it was it was really brilliant thing to do and um you know we all came out of it feeling a lot stronger i think on the release of that, were you nervous or did you know it was going to be a hit? Did you know it was going to number one and all the critics would love it? Not at all. Not at all. It was really just an exercise. Like, we reformed in 2010, I think, or 11, and we'd done loads of gigs, but the thing that we hadn't done was made it make a record. So um, we, we were approached to make one and we, we wanted to give it a go, but there were no expectations because I think... It, you know, the the um, beauty of being older is you understand things a lot more, and your expectations are, are okay. And but but just the and we all say this. Just you know, you wake up in the morning, and it's so it's just a position to go out and do what you love every day, and pay your rent, and you know, being able to go to the garden centre yesterday and fill your trolley (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know exactly what you mean that's success really and um 
so we made the record and yeah it went to number one and that week going into a chart position was just bizarre the label was saying you're at number three today you're at number two yeah. and and then on the thursday it's either us or hugh jackman are going to be number one i was like <laughs> that's bizarre in itself <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you mean hugh jackman? <laughs> we're up against hugh jackman it was like uh was that him or was that the the soundtrack to that film he did it was that film, yeah. Well, that was a... Ma- I mean, that went... The fact that you... So you actually beat him because that went on to basically be bought by everyone. We knocked him off number one. Yeah. Oh, mate. That makes me very That's happy. That's quite funny, yeah. Are there any plans to do another album? Well, um, n- because of all the gigs have been um, cancelled this year, yeah. we-, we had our first Zoom call uh, last week, yeah. which was like... It was like a chimpanzee's tea party, really. So <laughs> none of us really were taking it seriously. But but yeah. um, we all agreed that we should start writing again, uh, maybe in August or something. And um, it's difficult because we all live we live all over the place. I I'm in London, and yeah. Lim Valley's in Seattle. It's like it's you wow. know it's not around the corner, but um, no, it's not. But he's going to come back over hopefully in August and we're, we're, you know, we're just going to go back into the studio and try things out just because we can't play live. And, um, that's the option really. Would you be open to outside writers? I've got a couple of great songs for you. We're going to, we're, we're going to give it a listen, Craig. Um, <laughs> we're going to be honest. <laughs> I love your stutter. <laughs> we're going to be honest. Mate, I'm tempted to do my audition right here and now, but, but I won't, you know. Um, but the first line's classic. Wheelie wheel, that's what I do with my bike all day, all night, not a care in the world about anyone else but me on my mean machine. See, already already we're at 50-50 now. It's, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were hooked. You were hooked. It's a no-brainer. Why don't you have it on a sort of um, deluxe CD collection? You know, bonus like track. extras. <laughs> bonus <Yeah>. track. <laughs> listen, mate. Listen, it might just grab you. You never know. Yep. It just occurred to me, with your children, what their musical taste is and do you like the music that they're listening to? And as a, we've just talked about me being a 10-year-old yeah. and writing Wheelie yeah. Wheel, can I ask you about your 10-year-old? What's what's his taste in music like? Well, my kids are 32, 30 and 10. has quite yeah. a big gap. Yeah. Um, yeah, but is. going from 32, which is Felix, he's got his own radio show. It's, a, it's an online show. Um, but he plays very heavy reggae dance hall. Yeah. And that's what he does. And then Theo, who's the middle kid, he he's actually the youngest loot maker in Britain. He that that's what he does. He makes loots. What's that? Oh oh the oh the um, musical instrument. Yeah, yeah. And this image of gold bars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's researched it for years and now now he makes it, and his work is incredible. It's really incredible. And well, yeah, that does sound incredible. And my ten-year-old yesterday, yep. picking him up from school, he actually told me he could rap faster than Eminem. <laughs> so that's all I know about him. <laughs> <laughs> so he's into um, hip hop then. Uh, yeah, but I think this comes from sort of online gaming and stuff, and you know, mates getting together. I think that's where they're at, really. Yeah. I just want to tell you a story that will probably bring a smile to your face. I remember after my specials phase and my madness phase, when I was 14, um, and and you're not going to like this, I I got into U2. 
Yeah. Because of the emotional thing, that's exactly what it was. It was the emotion yeah. of the songs and the emotion that I felt, 14, 15. Yeah. And I would come back to my dad and go, Dad, 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 check this out. Yeah. And he'd go, go on then, put it on. Yeah. I remember playing him some something like Sunday Bloody Sunday. And he went, That's crap. Yeah. That bono is crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he went, listen to this. And then he'd just play me Motown. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd just go, he's crap. And we'd have an argument about it. I said, But he's not. How can you say Bono's crap? Yeah. And he just yeah. looked at me really seriously. He went, Craig, he's crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds all right, he does. <laughs> uh, do you know what he was spot on yeah I lost him last year um, oh wow yeah, but you know he lives on through me th- yeah. through my kids yeah. and through this podcast that I've found myself mentioning him quite a lot actually just to go back to um, you say that you've suffered with depression so is it right that during lockdown have you got the tools to have dealt with it maybe a lot better than people who've never had that kind of anxiety if that makes sense yes it does do you think it's been easier for you than than other people i think so in a weird way i think it really has because it's like sometimes i note the differences in the week um about how this is now and how i am normally and sometimes the only change is i have to put a mask on for sainsbury's (laughs) <laughs> that is the only difference I notice. But this is a real mask as well. This is not the mask an actor would use on stage. This is, no, this is a, talking about an, surgical itchy, mask. an itchy three-ply thing. That, that is the only difference, really. And um, it's it's very odd. It's very odd. But I'm quite comfortable, you know, being locked down. I've, I've been locked down for many years, really. And yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really notice it until I go out and and see how people are reacting to this. And um, any plans for the future? Have you um, got any new new songs you're writing? Any thoughts about another specials reunion tour? We'd planned to do dates this year. And in fact, around Amazing. this period, yeah. we, we were meant to be at Glastonbury. Oh, you're joking. And these outdoor gigs and, and, and a couple of festivals. But um, obviously they've all gone. And um, we've rearranged dates now for July of next year because that is the earliest that, I don't know, talking to promoters and agents and stuff, that's probably the earliest where people can say it could happen here, really. Yeah. And um, So what sort of tour is that going to be? Is that is that a big tour? We've rescheduled our summer things at, uh, for July and then we're, we're planning to play again in September Um because um, we toured last year, but um, yeah, we haven't really done anything since November. So we're still in touch uh, the band, yeah, and we're thinking about doing some more writing because really that's all you can do, yeah. Um, um, but we're, we're we're doing it all on Zoom, which is driving me nuts because I can't <laughs> stand it. Have you tried a Zoom party? No, the maximum I've got to is three people. Well, a Zoom party is quite bizarre when you've got no other options. And early doors, right. there was a Zoom rave. Wow. And it was as good as it got. And I kind of yeah. got into it. You know, there's people with yeah. whistles and shades on. Wow. I think there's some people with their tops off. And and it wow. got and it seemed to get a bit lively. And then and then you turned it off and went, oh, right, uh, should we have a cup of tea? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It was very, very bizarre. <laughs> But the good news is, right, is I've got yeah. my mouth organ. Okay, I've and just... I've got a 
Yeah. Got to prepare you for something. Yeah, go on. In this lockdown, I bought my first ever laptop. Yeah. I've never had a computer before. Yeah. But um, but all I'm doing on it is karaoke. Yes. So I found a karaoke thing with Moon River. Absolute genius. So that's going to be on in the background. It's not a band. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a laptop. Oh, I've got it. It's not the specials in your bedroom. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's on the edge of my bed. And so I'm going to play that and sing along to that. Well, that is absolutely perfect, mate. Now, to be honest with you, I'd prefer you to just sing this, but I will sort of come in and do the odd harmony um, if, if yeah. uh, you, you'd like. But really... To get Terry Hall to sing Moon River to me on this podcast would be quite a joy, I think. But the thing about this second verse is, which is a great place for you to come in. Yes. It's two two drifters. drifters. Two drifters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall I, you know what, just for comedy value, I'll give you the mouth organ and then do whatever note you want anyway. Okay. All right, let me, let me, let me just see if this does anything. Too high, right? Okay, hold on. Absolutely amazing. I'm absolutely... <laughs> God, that was amazing. What Did a t- it work? Oh, yes, it was amazing. Oh, brilliant. I heard you loud and clear, and what a voice. That was, a, that was, that was truly, truly special. That was a beautiful... Oh, that's lovely. Beautiful... I, I didn't expect... Obviously, you've got a great voice, but to hear it so close and personal with that uh, music in the background, with that choice of song, was... was Magical. Well, uh, that, that's, um, yeah, that's my favourite song. And it's the song that I, I like to sing. And this laptop now has provided me with a band in bedroom. <laughs> and h- how was my harmony? Because I was a bit nervous. My, my palms started I, I, sweating a bit there. I'm going to have to listen back because I had the phone away from my, my, my um, face. Are you happy with it? Well, look... I'm not. I'm not in your league. I just hope. I, I mean, I mean, I had to go low, so I went on yeah. the lower octave, 
I think okay. I think I got away with it. Um, but 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 magically, you sang that first verse so beautifully that I almost didn't want to come in, but I felt I felt like it's my one opportunity to get to sing with you. So um, you know, I'm glad I had the um, the uh, the gumption, the um, you know. Well, the, well it, it's the done, kahalas. and it's all about it's all about the first take. Whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's done. Thank you again. No problem, Craig. It's it's been a real real pleasure, uh, and you're an absolute star, and you're a genuine legend, mate. Um, so thank you. Have a lovely day, and we will have that pint soon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Have a lovely day, Terry. I will do. You too, Craig. Thanks again. Well, I enjoyed that. If you like what you hear, then why not subscribe? Search for Kelly's Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. This program was an MIM presentation. Thanks for listening. Listener.